and he's talking like this again. They're obsessed with Doctor, with Mr. Hyde speaking in this Cockney accent. He's smoking cigars. Hello, welcome to Guides the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And today, because we were so into last week's topic about the mummy movies, we decided to go broader and we're going to cover the entire Universal Monsters universe, both the ones in the past, more recent iterations, what they wanted to happen with the Dark Universe, and now what is actually going to happen with the Universal Monsters intellectual property. Oh, wow. That was very official with the intellectual property. Mm. Um, I'm excited. This is a topic that like, I don't know. I've always had a fascination with the universal monsters. I think that, you know, um, uh, it's, it's perfectly, you know, there are the icons of horror, whether or not you've seen those movies, you all know Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, the invisible man, but I don't really know much about them. And especially now in the modern era where we're all talking about the Marvel cinematic universe with Iron Man and stuff, like people will commonly cite the monsters as being the original shared cinematic universe. And I, have believed that at face value without doing any looking into it. And I'm really excited to have uh, now gone back to the past to, to see what it really was. Have you found that not to be true? Just to jump ahead, just a yes or no? Um, it is vaguely true. I mean, okay. it, it's undeniable that Universal from like the 20s to the 50s about, with a few pauses therein, made a ton of monster movies. Sometimes those characters crossed over into films with each other. By and large, though, you know, if you think about the way Marvel has really, I, I think, perfected the formula, yeah. um, it's not as though there is a Thanos who unites our uh, our heroes, or in the case of the Universal Monsters, villains, together for a single plot that takes place over the course of dozens of movies. They're right. all just sort of like a bunch of standalone tales with a few things that bleed into each other. It's okay. it's complicated. Okay, tight yes or no. So before we get into the show... <laughs> you should know! When have I ever been able to just say yes? Or I am... Listen, brevity is the soul of wit. I ain't got when nothing When a request that. is made... Can't I can't, it can't be done. A specific request. It can't be done. I can't be brief. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. That's why we love you. <laughs> so, if you want more of us, if you want less brevity, you can find us all over the place. You can follow Guides the Unknown on social media at GTTU Pod everywhere. You can join our Facebook group, the Guides the Unknown Secret Society, by going to facebook.com slash group slash GTTU Pod or just doing a search for Guides the Unknown at Facebook. You can also join our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash GTTU Pod, where there are all kinds of benefits to joining, including a monthly bonus episode for a whole separate Patreon only podcast podcast called the netherworld dispatch and there's actually a brand new episode of that out today it's waiting for you along with a lot of other episodes and all kinds of other video audio photo bonuses yeah so it's go a real, check that out real wild double feature this time the 15th of the month fell on a friday Right. Which means you can have a little back-to-back party. You can jump from Guide to the Unknown to the Netherworld Dispatch. Hit up patreon.com slash pod. Back us, keep the lights on, and get some bonus material just, uh, uh, I don't know, for your jollies. Yeah, exactly. Our bonus episodes come out on the 15th of every month over there. So that's how things just coalesced in such a beautiful way. And we would also super appreciate it if you left us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And 
just for your information, this is just free and out there. We do a video version of this show every single week. So you can watch Will and I have the conversation rather than listen to it if you want to at youtube.com slash talk bomb. And that is available right now for this episode and every other episode that we've done. Yeah. Yeah. You can see every single episode that we've ever done. We've always had video. Mm -hmm. It's pretty wild. Not a lot of shows do that. Yeah, totally. So there are 132 episodes on youtube.com slash talk bomb for you to watch. It's bonkers. I know. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, (laughs) let's get into it. So, uh, Kristen, the original Monsters universe. I wanted to really go back and get a firm understanding of even this subject matter. What is a shared universe? Now, my wife, the beautiful Allie Palmer helped me out with a, a few of my notes this week, and she discovered a Wikipedia page for the concept of a shared universe. It turns out that there is essentially a set of rules that govern whether or not fictional characters are occupying the same world. Wikipedia lists this as Mark Steen's criteria, named after a comic book historian named Don Markstein. Oh, cool. So that's kind of like an equivalent to the Bechdel test. Yeah, kind of. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I thought of it as being, you know, like um, uh, Albert Einstein's, you know, theory of <laughs> relativity. You know, <laughs> like, well, does that follow Markstein's rule? Right. You know? So there are five, quite frankly, overcomplicated rules. Sure. Um, in reading them, it was very interesting about like, if this happens, but that didn't happen, then no shared universe. But if this happens, then yes, 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 shared universe. The rules were tricky. I just picked the one that I liked the most to share with you to give you a sort of taste of what this is. I felt this was the most important and the most interesting. Characters cannot be connected by having met real people. Otherwise, it could be argued that Superman and the Fantastic Four are in the same universe as Superman met John F. Kennedy, Kennedy met Neil Armstrong, and Neil Armstrong met the Fantastic Four, right? There would otherwise be a sort of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon that would suggest that, you know, Batman was friends with Iron Man or, you know, because they met the same guy once (laughs) at a party. I don't know. Um, Mostly the shared universe uh, refers to like comic books. Generally, but it does come up in movies and television a lot. Um, I think one of my personal favorite shared universes of all time would be filmmaker Kevin Smith's View Askewniverse. Mm-hmm. It started out as a very small thing. I mean, there are obvious things there where you could see Jay and Silent Bob pop up in each movie that Kevin Smith made. So therefore, they're right. all tied together. But also, like if you dug a little deeper, and I did way back when these movies were originally coming out, you would find out that you know Randall from Clerks and Brody from Mallrats are cousins. Mm-hmm. Like just like little things like that. Little yeah. things for you to explore and find for yourself. It's very satisfying. It's like it's like scratching an itch or something to uncover these details. Totally. And I feel like when with with like the view askew the view askew universe or other things, I think as long as you kind of underdo it in a way, it's more fun than like JK Rowling overdoing. It's not a shared universe thing, but giving so much outside source information that you're just like, okay, great. Like Dumbledore is gay. And it turns out that lavender Brown and, uh, Cedric Diggory are cousins. Yeah, like it exactly. starts to kind of lose meaning, but those little things that you can find when they're maybe a little bit more spare become very satisfying. 
Yeah, it's sort of the 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 concept of show don't tell, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like so many people have um, complained about the way that J.K. Rowling has handled the Wizarding World because it's a lot of tell. It's a lot of being like, ah, well, this person uh, knew that person. Here's what they were really like off the page, off the screen. But I didn't flush that out or dramatize it. I'm just telling you. Uh, versus you know the way that again you know Marvel did it, where you can see that you know somebody an associate of Tony Stark's. Um, is is the contact for Peter Parker in the Spider-Man right. movies. And therefore, you know what must have happened off screen. Mm-hmm. It's like the puzzle piecing together versus just being told, this happened. Yeah. Um, so for the Universal Classic Monsters, there's a sort of, um, I guess they are doing, it's tricky. The Universal Classic Monsters, that is, by the way, the like title for that franchise of the original monster movies from the starting from 1923's Hunchback of Notre Dame and ending with 1956's The Creature Walks Among Us, which is part of the Creature from the Black Lagoon series. I think they do show don't tell. Mm-hmm. I think they do. Each one of these movies, in trying to chart out um, what order of events the movies occur in, and which characters appear in which movie, it feels like they're all just, and this is very understandable, it was, after all, like the 40s and 50s when most of this stuff was being uh, put on screen. They're all they're all products, you know? Yeah. Universal is in the entertainment business, and business was booming. Mm-hmm. People couldn't get enough of Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, and so they just kept seeing another opportunity to put them on screen. And as soon as they started having their characters cross over and started seeing people really respond to that, it just encouraged them to do it again and again and again. But, you know, once again, and I said it before, like I think the thing that Marvel really pioneered is the logistical planning, the like Mm -hmm. tight scripting of the why they're all connecting. In Universal, it kind of just sort of happens and you have to take it at face value. I can see why they did that. It is really appealing to see somebody that you know from one thing pop up in another thing. Yes. I didn't make this connection until just now, but I am starting to read a book series pretty much specifically because I heard that this author has another series and that they cross over and I'm reading it. Cause I was like, okay, well, if I like this book, I'm going to read the other series too. I'll read them in tandem. And then when they connect and I'm reading that, it'll be very exciting. Yeah. So universal had the right idea. And it's, I'm talking about Karen slaughter books, by the way, just in case I'm bugging anybody. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've always loved that. Even when I was a kid and we were assigned, you know, to read the outsiders, um, mm-hmm. I found out that Pony Boy from that book appeared in another book yeah, that, the, so that cool. the author wrote. And I was like, oh, well, I have to read that then because I need to understand like the Pony Boy adventures, how they continued, what happened to him after the Outsiders ended. Yeah. Um, I just needed, needed, needed to know. Um, so, all right, let's talk about some of these monsters here. To start, it was very much like the way that Marvel did it. They were all, you know, standalone films. Uh, Frankenstein. Uh, featured Frankenstein's monster. Dracula featured Dracula. Full stop. That's it. Stories Mm -hmm. about those characters, and it went no further. Obviously. It's not like they really had an alternative, but still, they built from there. They went on to add things like The Mummy, which we, of course, have talked about. Uh, They did sequels. Bride of Frankenstein. Dracula's Daughter. The movies were really popular, but 
even still, they started to dwindle early. All of those movies were made from like 1931 to 1936, and they even yeah. paused for a little while, presumably because they just weren't seeing uh, the full response that they used to get until movie theaters started to do a double feature of Dracula and Frankenstein. Ah, okay. Back to back. And it, 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 you know, they were so popular, it proved to Universal that there was still work to be done in those worlds. And so they continued to big, to, to big, to build. <laughs> they hit it big again in 1939 with Son of Frankenstein. They didn't even get to the Wolfman. They didn't even make a Wolfman movie until they had already thought that there was a slump. Wolfman hmm. comes along in 1941. Oh, wow. Um, then something crazy happened. In 1943, they released Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Lon Chaney Jr. played the Wolfman, and Bella Lugosi, who had previously played Dracula, played the monster. Here hmm. is where my head began to That's... spin. Yeah, I did not know that. That's surprising. It turns out. And uh, uh, over here at uh, at my compound, we're putting together a very complicated chart yeah. uh, to try to figure out the order of events here. Bela Lugosi played Count Dracula in only two movies, though they made more, far more than that. Dracula and uh, uh, Son of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, he played the Invisible Man. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> Lon Chaney Jr. played uh, the Wolfman. Frankenstein, sometimes he played Dracula. Uh, Boris Karloff uh, played other stuff too. They all played each other's characters. And I really think that it was a matter of like, who's available. Bela Lugosi would also play Igor in some of the Frankenstein movies. Then he played the monster itself in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. It's, it's bonkos. It's straight up crazy. like, Like they had a stable of players. Yes. And they would just grab, you know, who was available or, you know, based on whatever features. And it didn't, they weren't really worried about them being married to a particular character. Correct. Yeah. They just, nothing sacred. It was about the characters, not the performers. Yeah. So to a certain extent, this is almost as if you watched, you know, um, uh, Captain America Civil War and uh, Captain America is going to fight Tony Stark. Except mm-hmm. this time, for some reason, Captain America is played by Robert Downey Jr. Right. And then when he meets Tony Stark, some other guy's playing him. Yeah. Uh, uh, what? 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 <laughs> Your yeah, brain, why is this fine? You just wouldn't be able to accept it. My brain shorted out. Oh, I certainly out. wouldn't be able it, to accept that at all. That would drive me nuts. It drove me insane. That's trying not for to, me. To read it all. I think it, I think it, it was complicated. Allie tried to literally build a chart. Which, if you watch the YouTube version of this show I had on the screen for a bit, maybe we'll share this with people because it's really good work trying to piece together who did what and when. What are these movies? It's it's wild. It's just yeah. absolutely wild trying to piece this all together. Very intricate, this whole system. A thousand percent. So let's talk story a bit because in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in 1943, um, the Wolfman, Larry Talbot is his name, is revived. Here's where you start to get the idea that these are all telling a cohesive story. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman is both a sequel to uh, Son of Frankenstein and the movie The Wolfman, at the end of which, spoiler alert, the Wolfman is defeated. So (laughs) anyway, so in this movie, the Wolfman is revived and he wants to seek a cure for his condition. And he has heard that perhaps the notes 
of the long-dead Dr. Ludwig Frankenstein can cure him. He eventually finds himself in Frankenstein's castle coming face-to-face with the mummy. Again, just to add to the confusion, Lon Chaney Jr. played the Wolfman in this movie. He played the Wolfman in The Wolfman, but he had also played Frankenstein's monster in the previous Frankenstein movie. <laughs> so This is nuts. I mean, because they had such extensive makeup for some of these, was it kind of okay? Because for The Wolfman, I guess right. your features are, are kind of distorted. By and large, I think they, they did completely pull it off. But if you yeah. look at the intricate web of who did what when, it's bizarre. It's insane. But also, this is at a time where these movies, um, you know, they hit theaters and they'll probably be screened over and over and over again. But you couldn't take them home to study them. Right. You couldn't, right. You couldn't marathon them. So all, yeah, you need, you all you remembered is what the monster did last time, not what Lon Chaney Jr. did last time. Right. And you couldn't effectively nerd out. Like you couldn't go home and Google the name of the movie and then read a million, you know, interviews and reviews and things right. like that. So exactly. it kind of sticks in the mind in a different way. Yes. To to hit a further complication to all of this, Lon Chaney Jr. is the son of Lon Chaney. Right. Lon Chaney was a famous performer known for the original Universal Monster movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. When Lon Chaney Jr. took over playing a lot of these characters, they just dropped the junior from his name in the marquee a lot of the time. So sometimes you thought you were seeing his father, not him. So odd. It's it's show business. And they got those butts in the seats. It's all that mattered. Totally. So weird. I honestly, I kind of respect it. They they accomplished a lot. Um, anyway, so they made that, they made Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Um, I don't want to shock you, but, uh, both Frankenstein and the Wolfman fall in love with the same woman and then they fight over her, uh, until a flood, uh, comes along and and sweeps them away. That's how that movie ends. Again, like Freddy versus Jason, you know, like that actually uh, does shock me. That doesn't seem like much of a resolution. Well, Hey, pretty open-ended who can win. Freddy versus Jason, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jason cuts Freddy's head off, but then Freddy winks at the camera. No one can win. You know, they're, they're both, these characters have egos. (laughs) Um, (laughs) in 44, they made house of Frankenstein. I love this idea. Uh, Wikipedia describes this as a monster rally. They really packed them in this time. Uh, there was a mad scientist. There was the Wolfman, Dracula, a hunchback, just a hunchback, <laughs> Frankenstein's monster, and here's some of the plot. It's okay. Dr. Gustav Neiman, played by Boris Karloff, who had played Frankenstein's monster but isn't this time. I can see why you were saying that research and played this was the making your head spin. This oh, is crazy. I, am, I have a headache, right? I literally <laughs> can feel a headache oh. setting in right this second. You should um, take something before it really takes root, Will. No, I, I shall let it take root. The pain is real. Oh, my God. Dr. Gustav Neiman oh. <laughs> escapes from prison <laughs> alongside his hunchbacked assistant, Daniel. <laughs> this is... N- okay, go ahead. <laughs> for whom he promises to create a new beautiful body, it says. The two murder Professor Lampini a traveling showman, and take over his horror exhibit to exact revenge on the Burgermeister Hoosman who had put him in prison, Neiman revives Count Dracula. Dracula seduces Hoosman's granddaughter-in-law, Rita, 
and kills Hoosman himself. But in a subsequent chase, Neiman disposes of Dracula's coffin, causing the vampire to perish in the sunlight. Are we all keeping up? I, I kind of am. I Everybody, kind of do am. you have your notebooks? Are you, are you scratching in what I'm saying? You're trying to track all this? Yeah, yeah. A bunch of other stuff happens. I scanned through. I looked for monster names. Couldn't understand any of it. Here is the final paragraph. Didn't need the middle. <laughs> Events reach a crisis point. I just tuned back in there. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah, Let's have this listening. end. I'm listening. Dr. Neiman revives the monster, Frankenstein's monster. And Larry Talbot, the wolfman, turns into a werewolf. The werewolf attacks and fatally wounds Ilanka, who is the, the you know, love interest-y kind of character. Mm-hmm. But she manages to, to kill Talbot with a silver bullet before she dies. Daniel blames I Neiman. I kind of love that when somebody gets off one last shot. Pew. Yeah. Daniel blames Neiman and turns on him. The monster intervenes, throws Daniel out a window, and carries the half-conscious Neiman outside where the villagers chase them into the marshes. There, both the monster and Neiman drown in quicksand. The end. Tragedy. House of Frankenstein. One year later. House of Dracula. This is another sort of like back-to-back. This is almost like a uh, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue being released simultaneously. House of Frankenstein. House of Dracula. Claims to be a sequel, completely different story. This time there's somebody who's thinks he's got a fungus that can solve all his problems and it's gonna solve the what? werewolf. What is it? Does it thing. cure like mutations that lead to monsters? Is that theoretically the deal? that's that's what I got from it. Uh-huh. Um at some point Dracula, who I thought died in the last one, it said, but he's back. He gives someone a well, blood transfusion he... from himself to turn them into a monster. <laughs> what? Why did it do that? That seems so much less pleasurable than the way that Dracula usually makes people monsters. I don't think he was doing it for the pleasure. (laughs) Yeah, but why not get some pleasure at the same time? I think they were trying to put human blood into Dracula and he reversed the flow. That's what I think. That's what I think was happening. Gotcha. So the only thing that I really liked from this plot. (laughs) That's kind of funny. I know. Like the old (laughs) I will do the old switcheroo. (laughs) Yeah, push your blood black back out. Hey uh, yeah, just with pure energy just clenches. It's pretty funny. Um the only thing that really sort of like piqued my interest here was that when they find Frankenstein's monster, they find him where he left the last movie. Um he's like underwater, still clutching the now skeleton of Dr. Neiman from that last film. I love that little bit of continuity. It's very fun. That continuity seems fun, but then how long has he been in that water? Is that confusing for the timeline? Like Dr. Neiman has become a skeleton that he's still hanging on to as a living being. There's no timeline. A skeleton. That's all you really need to know. It's amazing that they had (laughs) continuity at all. Yes, but that's very confusing. It's all. <laughs> that's true yeah if i'm gonna say things are confusing but still i i don't know fun but i'm not gonna say i'm terribly it's not so impressive again d- does it mean that it's a shared universe just because all these characters are on screen together you know what i mean that's really what this boils down to um and it seems like i would say yes there's a lot of backflipping in that you know you can kill dracula but revive him you can defeat frankenstein and then you can bring him back to life Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there always, are a lot of escape hatches. Yes. A million, you know, escape clauses all over this, this franchise. But again, mm-hmm. it's, it's really more That's predicated fine. on do the people still want more? Okay. Revive Frankenstein. 
Yeah, I'm completely cool with that, by the way. If it's something that I like, like find some weird back doorway to give me more of it every time. I, I don't really care. Yeah. Again, you and I went to see uh, Jigsaw in theaters. Yeah. yeah. And the second that they showed Tobin Bell, it was we implausible like, oh, because that character has yeah. been dead forever, but I was so happy to see him. I don't care. Just bring him back. Yeah. Fine by me. One of the best parts. Yeah. Um. All right. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. This happens in 48, and it's sort of the swan song for uh, our three favorite friends here. Kind of like um, Endgame. Avengers yeah. Endgame seems like it might be the end for Iron Man, uh, uh, Captain America, and maybe Thor. I guess Thor's coming back. Who did that take me by surprise? Endgame. Oh, it was so delightful. <laughs> it, it was, was so good i hadn't really like followed the press about it or maybe i've been avoiding spoilers or something i just even though it's called endgame i just wasn't expecting it i remember I watching being like whoa i loved it honestly what the hell's happening here it's not so that, good right not that this is you know contrary to public opinion or anything no, no, like no, no. that it was, no, it was like saying. the top grossing movie ever made but i loved it it was one of the most satisfying movies i've ever seen me too i only interjected because when i think about it i'm like oh that's a movie anthony and joe russo know what they're doing Kevin Feige knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Stephen McFeely and Chris Marcus, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Um, All right. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. So Lawrence Talbert, played by Lon Chaney, the Wolfman. Again, he's back. He makes an urgent phone call from London to a Florida railway station where Chick Young, played by Bud Abbott, and Wilbur Gray, played by Lou Costello, work as baggage clerks. Talbot tries to impart to Wilbur the danger of a shipment due to arrive for McDougal's House of Horrors, a local wax museum. The crates purportedly contain the remains of Count Dracula, once again played by Bella Lugosi, and the Frankenstein monster. However, before Wilbur can understand, a full moon rises. And Talbot on the phone turns into the were- the, the, the wolf man, a werewolf. Mm-hmm. He proceeds to destroy his hotel room while Wilbur is on the line. Wilbur thinks <laughs> this is a prank call because all he hears is like, ah! <laughs> and he hangs up on him. Uh, that really sort of like kicks off the series of events. This is the movie that I remembered from my childhood. All mm-hmm. of the monsters are packed into these big wooden crates. Yeah. And when you open them, they all have like that like hay Mm-hmm. padding and i distinctly remember seeing uh bud abbott sitting in the foreground while you know dracula rises from his coffin in the back yeah it, so much fun so satisfying um i zipped ahead to the end and it's really really charming i i almost wish that i had had the time to to watch this in advance of the show the, for an ending to a comedy movie that features monsters how lovely is this so uh Chick, you know, all the events have happened. Chick insists that now all of the monsters are dead, saying there's nobody to frighten us anymore. They suddenly hear a disembodied voice provided by an uncredited Vincent Price, and they see a cigarette floating in the air. The voice says, oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to get in on the excitement. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the Invisible Man. The boys jump out of the boat they're in and swim away while the invisible man laughs from the boat. That's awesome. That's what I remember very it's well. It's lovely. <laughs> yes. It's it's like, I don't know. It's, it's delightful. like a spoonful of sugar. Mm-hmm. It's a little joy machine there. Yeah, Proper completely. dose of horror. Yep. Proper dose of comedy. Yeah, Fun roll fun. credits. Absolutely. Love it. Vincent Price is in there now. Fantastic. Yeah. Even better, honestly. So yeah, I mean... Listen, that's pretty much the end of the Universal Monster movies. They kept making more. 
Um, but they never really crossed over again. Like I said, Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, who were really the the major icons of the franchise, were retired. Um, but they did have Creature from the Black Lagoon for a while before they just gradually folded up shop. Everything ends. Yeah, totally. Um, Hammer Horror, the British uh, horror movies with like Christopher Lee as Dracula, they did it for a little while, but it wasn't really a universal thing, obviously. And it wasn't really until, what would this be, 60 years later about? Uh, in 2004, we were given a movie that was supposed to unite, unite the big <laughs> three. It was going to be a revival. It was going to give us everything we ever wanted and more. Yes. I watched it this week. It gave me less than I even expected. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Summers from the Mummy franchise wrote and directed Van Helsing. Had you seen Van Helsing before? I saw it in theaters with Dad, I think. Ah, very good. I haven't seen it, but the um, How Did This Get Made episode about Van Helsing is one of my favorites. Oh, it's so good. I yeah. watched the movie and then I immediately re-listened to that episode for probably like the fourth time. It's I love one of it. the ones with uh, Seth Rogen and yep. he really pops off about this movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's I highly so, recommend it. <laughs> it is so funny. How Did This yeah. Get Made? I love that show. Anyway, so Van Helsing the movie. All right. 1999, Stephen Summers did The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Gigantic success. A couple years later, we get The Mummy Returns. Did really, really, really well. Obviously, The Mummy is a universal horror character. That's, that's sort of how we got to this episode in the first place with our previous Mummy episodes. Stephen Summers had the idea for Van Helsing. Van Helsing is already a character from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, Abraham Van Helsing hunted vampires and creatures and stuff like that. Named after Bram Stoker. Bram is Abraham. Mm. So Stephen Summers thinks, okay, we create another action adventure just like the mummy. We bring the other monsters in. Van Helsing ties them all together. He hunts them all. It's going to be great. Yeah. They hired Hugh Jackman, who was hot off the presses. He had just started playing Wolverine somewhat recently. Um, and then, ugh, <laughs> man, it just goes wrong from the first second. From the first second, they start in black and white, which is very charming. They do like this almost like flashback to the original tone yeah. of the, the monster movies. Except fun. Dracula is like teleporting all around a room. And, uh, is it like, I mean, I don't know if I'm just thinking of this because you mentioned X-Men, but when you say he's teleporting all around the room, is it like when the Nightcrawler is in the White House? No, that's great. I saw that again Hell recently. Yeah, that was that's fantastic. Great. Yeah. I know I watched that not too long ago myself, but no. what does it look like? It's it's very simple sort of like staging teleportation. Like uh uh you and I are talking face to face here, then you cut to just me in the frame, mm -hmm. still maintaining my eye line with where you were a second ago, except now you're over my shoulder over here. Okay. So it's kind of like, oh, it's just like it's just like clever editing. Right. Yeah, so it's it's really just it it just amounts to like strategic edits to make it look like he's all over the place, uh, and then strategic edits to make the movie look like it's all over the place. Um, Van Helsing, we meet him in Paris where he fights not the Hunchback of Notre Dame, but Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, who for some reason is like a Lord of the Rings, like twelve foot tall. He looks like Grop. Remember Grop from Harry yes. Potter? He's just got that CGI look to him where he's like a little rubbery and soft, but he's huge. And he's talking like this again. They're obsessed with Dr. with Mr. Hyde speaking in this cockney accent. He's smoking cigars. It's Why is he our workhorse character? 
You know what I mean? Why is he in Van Helsing and then he's in The Mummy? Like, it's a, you know, fine character, but I'm just surprised that they're like, yes, we got to get this guy in everything. I... Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know. I think the real answer is because Dr. Jekyll, uh, yeah. he probably understands a lot about science, right? He's a Dr. Jekyll. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the whole movie, listen, there's too much to say about that movie yeah. to really get into it. I'll tell you this. I watched it. Uh-huh. I saw it. It happened. I saw everything that happened in it. It all happened right in front of me. My eyes were open and I was awake. Yeah. It was rough. It was rough. And it had, I'm sorry to all of you out there, uh, it felt at times like The Mummy. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. It's widely okay. regarded to be one of the worst movies ever made. Reminded me a lot of The Mummy because it's made by the guy who wrote and directed The Mummy. He right. I mean, that would this. make sense. Yeah. Anyway. Aye, aye, aye. Let's move on. There are other ones that, that are that are small, but they're just sort of like our stepping stones to get to you. Yeah. Um, they made a Wolfman movie in 2010 with Benicio Del Toro. I honestly oh have some God, curiosity about right. this movie. Yeah. I, I, I saw, I think, bits and pieces of this. It I has, completely forgot that existed. Who's in this? Not Hank Azaria. Who played Agent Smith in The Matrix? Oh, oh God. Hans Rebus like- or something. No, his his uh, weaving, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving, not Hans Rebus. He's in Hans it. Rebus. I really, really like Hugo Weaving quite like a bit. I like Hugo Weaving, too. It's got uh, Anthony Hopkins is in the oh. movie. Rick Baker won an Academy Award for the makeup in this movie. Um, he uh, went on to say, you know, we've got Benicio Del Toro. He's practically a wolfman already. So we just turned <laughs> him into Benicio Del Toro with more hair and bigger teeth. Which is fantastic. Won an Academy Award. Perfect. They really tried to stay honest. Uh, uh, They tried to keep the Jack Pierce. He's the original makeup artist for the Universal Monsters. They tried to maintain his designs for the Wolfman. I really get the feeling that even though it was poorly received, a lot of love went into trying to recreate the vibe of those original Wolfman movies here, which is interesting. Rick Baker is like a big deal special effects artist. So I'm sure that he had a major understanding of that kind of stuff and probably had a lot of fun with it. A thousand percent. Um, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone um, went on to give the film one and a half stars out of four, saying that the Wolfman bites, but not, I think, in the way the filmmakers intended. Buh, 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 buh. Um, I also read this, not to Yikes. step on your toes, but I read that they wanted Dwayne The Rock Johnson to play the Wolfman in a future movie. So <laughs> can't imagine it. <laughs> Can't even imagine it. That doesn't step on my toes at all. That's not information I came across. Can't imagine it in any way, shape, or form. They made I, Frankenstein in 2014, where Aaron Eckhart plays sexy Frankenstein. I read a part of the plot. I'm not going to read you the full thing at all. Um, But at a certain point, angels talk to him, and they give him the name Adam and invite him to join them, but he declines. And then they give him- They give him heavy baton-like weapons to protect himself as more demons will come after him. The weapons allow him to, quote-unquote, descend demons, which means to destroy their bodies and trap their souls in hell. Um, So they give him, like, a pair of devil sticks where he can send demons to hell? Yeah, he does. (laughs) He does cool devil stick. He can flip. (laughs) Do they show him in the park and at the mall and stuff? Yeah, in this 2014 movie, he's the coolest teenager from the mid-90s. Uh, that's from 2014 that movie 2014 wow i would have thought it was like 2004 this says a lot this does all the work of of explaining this movie uh i could have just said this at a certain point they considered crossing this over with the underworld series i don't know if you know much about that but like 
tells me everything I need to know. I know the vibe. It's just kind of yeah. an action movie with horror elements, I get technically. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Dracula Untold. This is really the big split here. This is the split between us, Kristen. Mm-hmm. Also in 2014, Universal made Dracula Untold. It is the origin story for Dracula, starring Luke Evans as Vlad the Impaler, um, who also is listed in here as being called Vlad Draculia. Okay. <laughs> I wonder who he's going to turn out to be. Yeah, I can't imagine. It, <laughs> really hiding in plain sight. Yeah, it feels a lot like Hannibal Rising. Uh-huh. Just a way of taking a commonly understood villain and turning him into a misunderstood, sad hero. Right. You know, that's one of my least favorite things yeah, in I any genre. Don't like a misunderstood, sad anti-hero. I hate it. Who used to be a cool monster. Yeah, specifically that. I, I hate a cool monster or a cool villain becoming a relatable anti-hero. Yeah. It's not for me. It turn, I, I read some of this. It's all about war. He goes to war. He's got to win a war. And he loses it. And then he meets a different vampire who, whatever, he just becomes a vampire and then wins a war. The the most important thing here is that they did a bunch of reshoots because they wanted this to be the beginning of a rebooted monster universe. Mm -hmm. And in these reshoots, this ancient vampire um, uh, haunts Vlad the Impaler, Dracula, in the present day. Um, He watches him from afar, and then he follows Dracula and says, let the games begin. Oh. (laughs) And the games swiftly ended. (laughs) No more. Universal changed everything. They went, change it. Change it now. And made the mummy with Tom Cruise be the the real beginning of the dark universe. Dracula, I'm told, just got immediately thrown in the garbage. Um uh, it has a, uh, an approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes of 20, 24%. I don't really, I'm not really a firm believer in Rotten Tomatoes, but it's, I'm it's not either. worth noting, I guess. The critical consensus was neither awful enough to suck nor sharp enough to bite. Dracula Untold misses the point of its iconic character's deathless appeal. Um, mm. And for a time, it seemed like that might be the end. Until yeah. Kristen came along with her that's, half of the topic. That's right. <laughs> Until our friend, Ultimate Movie Star Tom Cruise, came along. Oh, boy. So first, we're going to talk about I'm not going to go into a ton about The Mummy of 2017 because we did that last week. But I'm going to tell you some references to past movies that are in that movie, some Easter eggs and stuff like that. Um, So... In the movie, the mummy Amonet crashes an airplane, which is similar to the Universal Dracula movie, which has, I wrote Drac, commandeer a Russian schooner named the Demeter with his powers. So both of these monsters are taking control of, you know. Vehicles, big vehicles. Big vehicles. Um, And in that movie, Dracula kills everybody who doesn't jump overboard. And in the mummy, pretty much almost everybody dies. Even Tom Cruise is technically supposed to be dead, which isn't much of a spoiler. Cause that's the thing we talked about last week, or that's in the trailer where he's in a body bag and he like kind of comes yeah, out of it. Straight up a cool moment in that trailer. <laughs> Honestly, very cool. I like that part yeah. too. So another, there are actually a bunch of Dracula, like classic Dracula nods in the mummy. It seems kind of more than anything else. Another is that, uh, Tom Cruise, his name is Nick in the movie, sees Aminette, who is the mummy, as a giant pile of rats who then disperse and like crawl all over him and stuff. Oh. 
And in both the book and the Universal Dracula movie, Dracula's little like lackey guy Renfield talks about how Dracula came to him with an army of rats. Oh, is that right? I was going to say, because in even Dracula Untold, Luke Evans learns how to turn into a flock of bats. So it's like, oh, they can all become a bunch of little smaller animals. I mean, honestly, yes, that's a thing, too. Frankenstein can become a a bunch of little Franks, a bunch of little packs of hot dogs. Ooh, Vienna sausages. Yeah, yeah, sausage party crossover. Somebody get a can opener. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Willie and Kristen meet Frankenstein. Can we get a... Can we get a modern horror parody of the Universal Monsters where Guide to the Unknown meets the monsters? How great would that be? That'd be fantastic. I would love that. If you ask me, I say, yes, we can. Okay, green light. All right, perfect. Um, You have those green lights behind you on our set, so let those light the way. Yeah, I always have a green light. That's right. Okay, so we have mentioned that Dr. Jekyll is in the Mummy movie. I was surprised that So I don't remember the press cycle for this mummy movie. I assumed that Dr. Jekyll was like a surprise during the movie, but we knew that Dr. Jekyll was going to be part of it from the jump. He was part of the press and everything, which I was surprised to hear. I feel like that would be, at least for me, it was a fun reveal. I thought it was nuts, but I was like, whoa, excuse me, Dr. Jekyll is here. And so I kind of wish that they had let everybody experience that, but whatever. Um, Dr. Jekyll's presence himself is kind of an Easter egg. I mean, it's more overt than an Easter egg, but it is a note to, or like a nod to like a broader weird world within that movie. And his office has nods to previous Universal Monster stuff and just Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde the book. So the office has these skulls in it that seem to be tracing human evolution. So different kind of versions of skulls, which is a theme that's present in the book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the movies, because there was this like weird Victorian sort of concern about moving backwards in evolution at some point. Hmm. And Mr. Hyde is often described as being ape-like and troglodytic, suggesting that he's less evolved than his counterpart, Dr. Jekyll. That's so, interesting. I mean, we, we as, as a species, we love to characterize others mm-hmm. as being lesser. Like, there are yeah. a lot of political cartoons of, uh, of our ancestors, Irish people, as apes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was definitely, it was a big thing then. It had a lot of, like, it, it had root and ties to, like, racism and xenophobia and stuff like that. Yeah. And so it seems like that was kind of fed into the idea of Mr. Hyde and some of the things in Dr. Jekyll's office in The Mummy sort of nod to that. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the movie, Dr. Jekyll says, welcome to a new world of gods and monsters, which is a line from Bride of Frankenstein. Right. And became sort of a log line or a tagline for the dark universe as a whole later, which I'll get to. I'm not against that, by the way. I, I think no. the the gods thing is interesting. I, I commonly dislike it when like it's it's a big thing in, in um DC comics to say that Superman is a god. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of comics that depict the Flash as a mm-hmm. becoming a god. He's unlike mortal men. And I, I typically dislike that. But uh as people trying to understand Dracula, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean I I don't love that myself, but I also sort of get it. If it's somebody or some entity that is 
so beyond our understanding of how humans work, I guess it's natural to either be like, okay, this is an alien or it's a God. It's yeah. something different than, than us. It's evolved in a different way. So I get it, but I don't love it because I feel like it's often framed as something kind of schmaltzy or corny. Yes. It's, 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 it's already corny. I feel like the right. job of using that is to drag it away from being corny somehow, mm-hmm. which feels impossible. But I'm, I'm not conceptually against it. Yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. Um, so the organization that Dr. Jekyll heads up is the Prodigium. This is the thing that um, is investigating supernatural evil forces and either either neutralizing or stopping them, mm-hmm. something like that. And so their headquarters, the place where Dr. Jekyll's team gathers, is a big source of Easter eggs in the movie because there's crap laying around everywhere. It's inside like the London Museum of Natural History or something. So they're like walking down hallways and then going into an office where like, they're just like, crap on the walls and tables and everything. I've got all so. kinds of crap, Mr. Cruz. <laughs> Have you, you seen all it. my crap? <laughs> At one point, you can see a vampire skull that has major fangs. Mm. So that seems to be some sort of vampire or Dracula thing. And some people suggest that that signaled that in the dark universe, Dracula might be a little bit more animalistic because it's not like it was a skull that just has like slightly protruding fang teeth. They seemed kind of like bestial. Oh, that's I saw it written. More like a man bat than a than a what we would really think of as a suave Dracula. Seemingly, I don't even know if I didn't I didn't see the skull myself. I don't even know if it would be a bat. I just took it to be that these are like serious fangs. I do like that idea. That calls to mind um in the movie Predator 2, mm-hmm. uh, where they're in the concrete jungle. Um <laughs> Danny Glover goes on to an alien spaceship (laughs) and the predator collects skulls. And one of them is the xenomorph from alien, which spurned, you know, tons and tons of people eagerly awaiting alien versus predator, which didn't come for like, you know, 20 years or something like that. But I do like that sort of nod. So annoying. Yeah. If you're a fan, you know, Uh but like, I do enjoy the kind of nod to being like, ah, yeah, something has happened before. Something is some sort of interaction has already occurred in this world. I do too. I I love the idea of teases like that. I frankly wish that this dark universe thing had happened in a different way. I agree. But I like the idea of it. I think it's really cool. Um, So also in the Prodigium headquarters, you can see a fishy hand like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Hmm. Interesting. Mm Kind of cool. So there are also nods to the Brendan Fraser, Stephen Summers mummy movies, which suggest that they are in the same universe, that the events of the mummy 2017 don't undo or negate what happened in those earlier movies. So the archaeologist Jenny in the movie knocks out one of the Jekyll-like henchman dudes with the book of Amun-Ra from the 1999 mummy. It's clearly the same thing. It has the same like star lock on it. And in the last shot, this is a little bit more conceptual and not necessarily like a clear link, but I remember thinking that it reminded me of the mummy. So I think that it was on purpose. The last shot of the mummy 2017, where Tom Cruise and his buddy are riding away in the desert on horses. There's a giant sandstorm behind them. I don't even know if you call this a sandstorm, but these like clouds of sand creating like a wall that just seems to be moving with them behind them as they ride. 
And people think that's probably meant to make you think of the face in the sand in the Brendan Fraser mummy. Oh, that's and interesting. And that Tom Cruise, now because he has the power of set, the power of that mummy, he can control sand and the elements in the same way that Imhotep in the previous mummy could control sand and like turn it into his face. That's kind of interesting. Uh-huh. It makes well, sense to me. It makes sense. We'll never know. <laughs> no, but I, I actually like that one. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so here's what got me all psyched for us to do this topic this week. When I was reading about the mummy and saw stuff about the original plans for the dark universe. The thing is, is that Universal came in way too hot off the bat. Mm. So before the mummy came out, they announced a slate of planned films rebooting a bunch of those Universal monster movies. They first announced it on Twitter with this, and it's still up there. You can go to twitter.com slash dark universe with this kind of confusing montage of clips from the original Universal monster movies that ended with a modern looking banner that said dark universe. You're like, okay, this means something new. But then after that, it listed those original movies being now available on Blu-ray. It's like very confusing and muddled. Then immediately followed on their Twitter by a cast photo of Russell Crowe, Tom Cruise, and Sofia Batella, who plays the mummy, from the mummy, along with Javier Bardem and Johnny Depp, who were set to play Frankenstein's monster and the Invisible Man, respectively, with the caption, witness the beginning of a hashtag dark universe. Hmm. So... Like you said, it's it, it's like a little muddled because Dracula Untold was like supposed to be part of the universe, but it was filmed before they had the idea for it, and they later decided not to include it. However, if The Mummy had done well and they had gone forward with the dark universe thing, it seems like Luke Evans, who played Dracula in that movie, probably would have been integrated into that world. He did some interviews at the time where he said he was still contracted to play Dracula. Right. So he probably would have been in it. But so while this was the start of the dark universe, it's not quite as clean as that. That's, that's what's really wonderful about what Marvel did is you didn't really see it coming. You know? Yeah. You watched Iron Man and you just saw a really, really good movie. That's what you saw. And then if you stayed after the credits and this was where it spread through rumors and whispers. Yes. I I heard Samuel L. Jackson's at the end of that movie. Oh, I better go back and watch. It was so exciting. It was it was an adventure. Yeah. It, was, it was an exploration. Yes. It was a period was. of discovery for viewers. It was. And I it, would say it was an adventure. It was like it was, it was very exciting. It was yeah. really cool. And I think that they went by a principle that Universal specifically did not go by. And it's a principle that I would say is a um, it is one of my north stars in my professional life, which is to underpromise and overdeliver. Yeah. Don't overpromise and underdeliver. Yeah. So Universal overpromised with all the intentions of delivering, but they couldn't do it. And then it makes it fall flatter than if you just gradually built this thing and were able to present it. Yeah, it just you know it's a shame. It's just messy. I agree. What's interesting is that I remember. Um, around you know the 2010s the early 2010s that there had been discussions like oh we'd love to make an avengers movie but they only had the rights to like iron man and thor you know Mm -hmm. they didn't have everybody yet but they saw they they only in interviews they didn't take a cast photo and say like betcha can't wait for this they just would say in interviews like yeah we would love to do that we really hope to do that if these movies do well that's where we want to go and then they got there but they did kind of call it they just didn't make it a big, big, big deal. 
Yeah. And I understand the impulse to make it a big, big, big deal because it's really cool and it's exciting to announce cool it's things. It's so fun. It's so exciting but, to have yeah. the idea. The idea is like, oh, it's it's like, I don't know, it's the best drug when you've got the a cool idea and yeah. it's going to rule. But then if you don't do it, you feel like a big idiot for having right. been that excited to begin with. Right. I mean, so you should just hold, keep it under your cap publicly until something is actually moving. Yeah. It's a weird thing. So obviously this is not what Universal did. They went ham. So on that same day as those tweets went out, a press release was issued where they announced that the mummy was the first in this new connected cinematic universe and that the dark universe motion logo title card is going to debut at the mummy. It's going to be accompanied by a theme by Danny Elfman. This is a whole thing we're doing. Hmm. And they also let the press know that there was going to be a future entry into the franchise. And that would be bride of Frankenstein directed by bill Condon. And they even gave a release date for that movie. So they were really kind of like putting the cart before the horse. And I also wonder not that this could be the only connection or anything, but bill Condon is who directed that live action beauty and the beast, which Luke Evans was in. So I wonder if there was any sort of something there. Interesting. It could not be, but you know, Uh, The press release also referenced the cast photo that I talked about, and it referred to the people in it as, quote, the stars of imminent and future dark future, no, the stars of imminent and future dark universe projects. Mm. So they're really like selling it. They took a cast photo. It's kind of nuts. And I think kind of unheard of. I didn't know how to research this to find out, but I don't remember a thing like this really happening before. No, neither do I. I mean, the the allure of doing mm-hmm. what Marvel did, it had to be overwhelming. Right. And so I wonder if making kind of like big bombastic statements about it felt like what they needed to do. Like we need to Maybe. come out strong and show what our plan is in response to Marvel rather than just doing it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's like kind of competition driven in a way. And they're like, well, they haven't done a thing like this. So we're going to do a thing like this. And it is cool. I, oh man. It's very cool. I remember seeing the logo for dark universe. It is, you know, obviously the universal logo is the globe with the, the universal, the word universal emblazoned on the front. It curves around the earth a little bit. The dark universe logo. It's the shady side. It's the mm-hmm. dark side of the planet that's getting no sunlight and dark universe is, is blazing. And man, it's it cool was as so hell. fun. I just, I wanted it. But then it, it's hard because like, then it started becoming like, oh, the universal dark universe. You started using the word universe too much. It's like, so much. I yeah. think they probably should have found a different name for it to tell you the truth. I know. <laughs> but yeah. I understand again, you think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. People start to understand that universe means connected movies. And so I think they probably felt like they had to say that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this is also from the press release, and it kind of shows you what they were thinking. So this is a direct quote. It says, at its organizing principle, dark universe films are connected by a mysterious multinational organization known as Prodigium. Led by the enigmatic and brilliant Dr. Henry Jekyll, Prodigium's mission is to track, study, and, when necessary, destroy evil embodied in the form of monsters in our world. Working outside the, this is a word I don't know, Aegis? A-E-G-I-S. I thought this was a weird word to put into a press release because it's like a tough word. I completely agree. It strikes me as a comic book word. 
Oh, maybe. Well, working outside the aegis of any government and with practices concealed by millennia of secrecy, Prodigium protects the public from knowledge of the evil that exists just beyond the thin membrane of civilized society and will go to any length to contain it. To learn more about Dark Universe and Prodigium, visit darkuniverse.com and welcome to prodigium.com. Mm. So you know I went to those dark comms. Dark comms? Um, <laughs> Dot coms, the Dark Universe website now just redirects to Universal Studios, mm. and Welcome to Prodigium is defunct, and like, can Google we, didn't want to let it? me go there. Can we buy that? Welcome to Prodigium? I was confused because I got like a, you know, one of those like safety notices about how you don't want to go to this website, and I kind of like hovered my mouse over it, and I was like, do I want to do this? And I was like, it's for the people. I have to do it for the show. So I clicked accept or whatever. And then it just brought me to the Google search for Welcome to Prodigium. Oh. So I, I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm not totally clear because it wasn't like it brought me to a GoDaddy where it said that it was available. Yeah. But it wouldn't let me go to it. When, when you hit like proceed anyway, like let's mm-hmm. get dangerous. It should have flashed to Russell Crowe's face and been like, mm-hmm, so you found me. You managed to get through our first defense. William, not Christine. so far off. <laughs> <laughs> Speaks directly to you. Not so far off from what it seems like happened when you did go to welcome to prodigium.com in oh. 2017. So the first Google result for that was a website called universalmonstersuniverse.com. And it has a blog post describing what happened on the site. Also, I had a paragraph here that was completely wrong. I had to get rid of it. I forgot my order of events. So I thought that welcome to prodigium.com for a second just directed me to this Universal Monsters fan site. And I was like, did they buy the domain? Why did Universal let them? This is very strange, but it's not the case. But still, it is a still active site where they talk about all things Universal Monsters. Okay. And so they had a description of what welcome to prodigium is. And they said that apparently you could use, and this dates it as well, you could use Google Glass to look around the Prodigium headquarters and see some teases for the movie. You'd see like Tom Cruise and you could see that the mummy was captured. Hmm. And you would also, they said Russell Crowe says or something. I don't know if it was that you saw him or you just heard a voiceover, but Russell Crowe upon entry to Prodigium says evil is the shadow that exists just outside our world, continuously searching for a way to come in for a way to become flesh and blood. Welcome to Prodigium. We recognize, examine, contain, and destroy evil. Sacrifices must be made. Mm. So that's what happened on that website. (sighs) Is the mummy not flesh and blood? Is Dracula not flesh and blood? Is Frankenstein's monster not flesh and blood? Hmm. It might have needed another pass. (laughs) Another pass. Another pass. They're flesh and blood, I would say. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe some maybe some forms of evil aren't flesh and blood, but we're not talking about those. We're talking about monsters. Also, so. evil, evil, true evil. Maybe like some modifier on evil. You know, yeah, it implies true that, evil that is, the world of humankind is is without evils. You know, which is not true. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Another pass. I, th- I think some people would say that a lot of the mummy could have taken another pass. Yeah. But I respect the effort that was made into putting a companion site together because that seems really fun. Sure. Another thing they did that seems really fun is that on that same website, they talked about this really cool piece of promo material that arrived to the person who runs the website on the day that Universal announced the Dark Universe. So there was somebody out there monitoring like any fan sites 
that are about universal monsters who might be into this. And in addition, I'm sure all kinds of press receive this thing too. But this is a quote from that website, Universal Monsters Universe. It said, a young gentleman dressed in a suit and black overcoat. Now this is going to be, this is going to be tough for you, William. I know you're going to laugh, but this is the person's real name. I okay. also laughed. Okay. Asked if I was Stephen Biscotti. <laughs> And said that he had a delivery from Universal Pictures. He handed over a steel briefcase with a name tag revealing that the case belonged to none other than Dr. Henry Jekyll. So Stephen Biscotti, proprietor of Universal Monsters Universe, received a promotional suitcase full of stuff in it pretending it was Henry Jekyll's suitcase. And it's very cool. Like he opened it up, took pictures of a bunch of stuff, and it very much reminded me of Hunt a Killer, actually. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that name. That That's a sweet Stephen Biscotti. Stephen Biscotti. What a name, right? What a scrumptious cookie of a name. Absolutely. <laughs> Congratulations, Real- Stephen. I could dip that name in a cup of coffee. Hi, I'm Irving Cookie. Are you <laughs> Stephen Biscotti? I like Stephen Biscotti better. I think we should be friends. You know, oh, really? You don't like Irving Cookie? <laughs> that name I just can't put. I'm stunned. Irving Cookie. <laughs> Irving Cookie. The police have arrested Irving Cookie for, for the murder of 80 people. I couldn't stop at one. Oh, <laughs> said Cookie. Uh, uh, okay. That was a real discovery process for me. I didn't know. Was, <laughs> I didn't know I was building there. I love it when that happens. Talk about a drug when that happens. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. But they put all this work into it. They did cool, like outside of movie stuff, but it wasn't meant to be. As we said in the last episode, the mummy flopped hard. And then the producers of the movie and basically the heads of the whole dark universe left universal. Whoa. The bride of Frankenstein, um, despite being rumored to have Angelina Jolie attached, was first announced to be postponed, and then it was quietly canceled. Mm. And that seemed to make the whole Dark Universe thing just quietly sort of fold. Nobody really said anything about it, but it just sort of died off. Until- it just didn't make sense. Why were they going to make Bride of Frankenstein before they made Frankenstein? I don't know. Maybe they wanted to get a gal in there. It's like making a seed of Chucky before <laughs> before you made Child's Blood. Yeah, it's weird. It unheard is weird. of. No. It is unheard of. It's very strange. So they didn't really publicly acknowledge the fold of the dark universe until January, 2019. And even then they weren't like, look, you know, our dark universe folded, but they just announced a different tack that they were taking. So universal said that they were going to start focusing on standalone monster movies instead of a shared universe with Jason Blum of Blumhouse producing some, if not all of the movies Mm -hmm. because he was super duper into them. And he basically said to universe, I would universal. I would love to be able to work with some of these properties. They saw the success that he's had with horror movies and they said, absolutely, let's go for it. So it's very much a partnership. Nice. So at that point in January, 2019, they announced that first step was going to be the invisible man that later came out. Let's zoom fast forward. Big success, fantastic movie and totally different than the action movie blow em up. That was the mummy. Yeah. So 
it sets the tone for a much different kind of universal monster movie in our modern age and one that people seem to respond to a lot better. I certainly respond to it a lot better. You touched on it before that a lot of these movies like Underworld and I Frankenstein and other things are really just action movies. If you were to remove the fact that it's Frankenstein or a vampire or whatever, like everything that happens them is more action oriented and those characters being kind of mythical is sort of incidental. This put unusual characters and things like that at the forefront and doesn't have a lot of action. So it's like a proper horror movie. And arguably that's what people are looking for from universal monsters. Cause that's how they started out. They weren't these big action pieces. Yeah. Really wonderful. I, I really liked the invisible man. And I think, you know, yeah, I, I really do exactly what you're saying. I hope is, is true. I hope it represents a new, direction of looking at these characters and deciding what they really mean. What do they mean? The invisible man at its core, of course, there's all like this heavy baggage of the iconography of the invisible man. Wouldn't it be cool if Johnny Depp played him? Um, The mummy movies did well if he made an action invisible man or something like that. But at its core, the invisible man is about somebody who's there, but you don't know. Right. And so Lee Whannell and Jason Blum turned that into a paranoia story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very small micro story. It's a game of inches. Is he here? We're listening, trying to figure out, could he possibly be in the room? And right. the tension is all born out of the fact that it's an invisible man. So it's, right. it's, it goes right back to the concept. Like maybe, maybe Frankenstein should be about somebody who, you know, has lost everybody he loves mm-hmm. and, uh, in desperation just wants to bring them back. Right. So he's going to try to de- try to defeat death by by bringing a dead body back to life. Small, just about emotion, the emotion of what these monsters are. Well, we're going to have to see because the other monster movies that are slated don't seem so far to be following that sort of invisible man pattern. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be bad, but I did not know about these movies until we were researching these things for the last couple of weeks. And I can't lie to you. I feel a little deflated about the future of universal monsters with a rare exception. So then after announcing the invisible man, this is about the announcements, not the release dates after announcing the invisible man in January, 2019 in September, 2019, they announced a movie called dark army directed by Paul Feig being in development, which will have original monsters and new characters in it. And then the most recent news I could find about this movie is from this past February of 2020, where Feig said that he was in the middle of rewrites. And this is a quote from that interview. He said, I really want this to bring the same feeling that those old monster movies that I loved growing up watching did. I'm not as interested in doing a horror movie as I am in doing a true monster film. So hopefully that will see the light of day. You never know in Hollywood these days, but I love it. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about the characters that I've created and some of the ones that I've been able to bring over from the old movies. I don't totally understand that quote. I don't really yeah. understand where the line is drawn between a horror movie versus a monster movie. Yeah. I, I get, I, I get it to a degree. Um, but I don't, I don't entirely understand. <sighs> Paul That's Feig hard. for people at home is the person who he's done some cool stuff, but he also most recently did um, a movie called a simple favor, which was like kind of a thriller that wasn't that good. And he did the 2016 ghostbusters. Um, So I don't know. I know he also directed a lot of episodes of the office. 
Yes. He also is, you know, like, uh, he's worked in the sort Freaks of- Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, Freaks and Geeks. He did yeah. Heavyweights. He's in the movie Heavyweights. He acts in it. Oh, um, he sure does. I watch Heavyweights, like, during this quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I uh, that's tricky. I associate him primarily with comedy. Mm-hmm. To hear him say it's not going to be a horror movie, but it's going to be a monster movie implies embracing cheese. Yeah, which right. means comedy. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. The Universal monster movies are are fascinating in um, in many ways. They are deserving of every ounce of respect you can throw their way. In another respect, I feel like um, they almost make me realize that we are animals and we have instinctive memory. You know, like a dog knows how to kick after it pees. Mm-hmm. You know, They're like nobody taught it that. I yeah. feel like I've seen all the monster movies. Yeah, I haven't, yeah. but I feel like I have. Right. It's just like, it's just in my DNA to know what those are. And I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong. That's why I want to watch them. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to double back. But to see that happen again, the way that it was, means cheese to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about that in a modern movie. That's what I'm saying. That's what it sounds like. And I think a lot of the cheese comes from looking back. I don't know if they were cheesy at the time. No, they weren't. But like, you know what I mean? It's so just impossible I, not to think of lightning striking and, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. snarling in a ripped of up T-shirt. Of course. So I just don't know how that translates to now. I feel the same way. Like horror and monster movies are synonymous in a way, but horror has changed. Horror of today was not horror of the 1930s. Right. You know what I mean? So I can understand how he's saying I'm not making a horror movie because those wouldn't count as a horror movie kind of today. I mean, they 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 would. But the Invisible not- Man is kind of a drama. You yeah. know, like, but it's, a, it's prestige horror. It's that term everyone loves that separates you know, supposedly quote unquote good horror from quote unquote bad horror. Yeah. So maybe he just doesn't want to make that. Maybe he doesn't have anything serious to say with monsters. Maybe What's which that is fine. Dark I'm down army. For, yes. Dark army. I'm down for fun in a way. I just don't want like, I don't know. Super goofy. It just depends. It depends. It all depends. Evil you could, dead army of darkness. Right. I know. I know. I thought the same thing. It's weird. Mm. Um, so let's move on to another comedic thing that's on the horizon. Then they announced that there's going to be a movie called Renfield about Dracula's little guy with Dexter Fletcher directing. Oh. It said that it's going to be a comedic take where Renfield realizes he's in a bad relationship with Dracula, but not a whole lot else is known about the plot. Again, on its face, maybe an execution, it'll be fantastic, but I was reading these and I was like, oh, oh, oh. I, I, I envision that uh, being played by Janos from Ghostbusters Oh my too. God. It's like a Janos, Janos the movie. I mean, that makes sense because Janos was basically the Renfield for like Gozer. Or not Gozer. Uh, I always forget his name. I know. What is it? Whoa. Uh, death is but a doorway. Time is but a window. He'll be back. Vigo the Carpathian. Thank you. Vigo the Carpathian. Okay. So then they announced a movie called The Invisible Woman starring and directed by Elizabeth Banks. Oh. And they said that it is going to be very different from The Invisible Man. There's no crossover. It's a totally different thing. So I also imagine that that's going to be a lighthearted take. Because mm. she doesn't make a whole lot of serious movies. Maybe she's looking to make one, but I can't help but think that it'll probably be comedic. Well, um, okay. Uh, you know? uh, can I spoil Invisible Man? Is that inappropriate, yeah. you think? I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Everybody, I'm about mm-hmm. to spoil Invisible Man. You've got five seconds to comply. All right. <laughs> At the end of The Invisible Man, here I go. 
Elizabeth Moss uh, becomes the Invisible Woman. Mm-hmm. It's implied in that movie because she keeps the suit, the Invisible Suit, that she might become an Invisible Woman in a movie. I didn't feel that way. It implies a future for her where she has an Invisible Suit, and it left I- a door open that I know Universal is excited about. I'm sure. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I really didn't feel that way about that. I, I was like, she has the invisible suit, so nobody else can use it now. And like, she's she, going to keep this technology, but I didn't, didn't feel burn like it or anything. She kept it. She becomes like a femme fatale at the end of that movie. Yeah. But we just saw her walking away with it. Right. Like it's in her purse. And she talks yeah. to, uh, that officer that she's friends with. She has gone, you know, bad. Yeah. She's yes. deadly Dudley. Maybe yeah, she's be a deadly sequel. Dudley. Yeah. But I don't know. It didn't, it actually, maybe that's just me. It just didn't occur to me that she would be an indivisible woman now, but either way, that's something that's in the work with works with Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Then they announced the development of a musical coming called the monster mash. Hmm. And then here is where we go back to what might be actual scary horror horror. Again, they're about starting with The Bride of Frankenstein. You're right. I don't know why they're not going right to Frankenstein. And the directing duties are rumored to be between, it hasn't been decided yet, John Krasinski or Sam Raimi. Yeah, okay. So both of those people are have made serious horror movies, which makes me think that this would be an actual horror movie. And there's a rumor that's unconfirmed that Paul Feig, Elizabeth Banks, and John Krasinski were each given the option to develop films from the Universal Monsters intellectual property roster. And these are kinds of things that they chose, which is interesting to me. I know. So the most recent of the universal monster movies that was announced to be in development is that there's going to be a Dracula remake produced by Blumhouse and directed by Karen Kusama. So among other things, she did Jennifer's body, which I've never seen. And I've heard has good had, things about it. It's had a recent resurgence in like yeah. respect and popularity. People thought of it as just kind of like schlocky and like, uh, kind of like exploitative of teenage girls, like being sexy movie, but it seems like a lot of people have been watching it in the last year or so and being like, no, this is actually like a very complex look at teenage girls and sexuality. It made people weren't ready for that. Yeah. And she also did that movie, the invitation, which I haven't seen, but I know that people like, hmm. so people are excited about this remake of Dracula. And that's another one that seems like it'll be scary. Okay. So that's where we're at with universal monster properties. It's interesting. I, I definitely like the direction of making the movies mm-hmm. and not making Russell Crowe tie them together. Yes. It's so weird that he's the connective tissue. It's weird. <laughs> of all characters and it's just very strange. It's as if Iron Man 1 had, you know, the the added weight of of making Nick Fury a character and explaining how all of this is going to tie together. Mm-hmm. It's just too too much. It's too much. It's too much to promise. Tom Cruise v. Mummy. That's what that could have been. Yes. Um, Tom Cruise v. Mummy. Yeah, it's still whatever. There's, we've talked about the mummy. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we'll have to see what's to come, what actually gets made, because it seems like these things were announced, but they're not like completely set in stone. If Paul Feig's recent interview is to be taken, you know, seriously or as an indicator of anything, but those are the universal monster movies that are on the docket. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah, I I guess, I guess we'll find if anything, you know, if there's anything to take from this, we just talked about over 100 years of cinema, you know, mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. I, I just lied to you. We talked about like 97 years of cinema. Um, okay. But still, yes, you're right. Like, okay, 30s. Universal has been doing this forever. They've been doing this mm-hmm. since like the beginning of film. They were making silent horror films. Right. That they then they then remade when there was sound. That were then mm-hmm. remade when there was color. And now they're being remade now that like the the organization of stories in film is is changing a lot. Like these monsters will keep being reinvented. Yeah. Like for the as long as humans are around forever. making movies, yeah, they're forever. some of the most classic and iconic characters, yeah, and they have such universal themes to them that they can be retooled forever. I don't think yeah. they're going anywhere. No, I, I completely agree. And it's fine by me. We're living guess, in history. We are. Guess who is going somewhere? We are. We're done with the episode. Yeah, Thank we're going you guys. away now. So much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We would super appreciate if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us five stars if you liked this, and that would be awesome. We would also love it if you went to patreon.com slash gttupod and joined our netherworld warriors over there for $4 a month or more. You can totally edit that to whatever you want. You get a bonus episode every single month. It's like a secret podcast that you don't have yet other bonuses, conversation, cool people over there in the comments. It's very awesome. Yeah, and as we said at the beginning of this episode, this month the 15th fall the 15th of the month falls on a Friday. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as this episode wraps up, prep your iPad or your iPod or whatever it is. I don't know what you have. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go listen to the new episode of the Netherworld Dispatch that's out right this very second if you're listening to this on Friday the 15th. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And you can also join our Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash group slash GTTU pod. You can follow us online at GTTU pod everywhere. Go check out our Facebook page. That's youtube.com slash talk bomb, where you can see every single episode of the show in video format. Watch Will and I talk to each other. Watch how we've changed looks over the last couple of years. See the chat that people are doing and having fun with in real time on the screen as the episode plays out. It's very, very cool. So head over there, youtube.com slash talk bomb. Yeah. Guide to the unknown is a living, breathing organism. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many facets to this creature. It's That's right. A, a virus. Yeah, it is. It's a hydra. Cut yeah. off one head and two more take its place. That's right. We're everywhere, baby. So let us infect you. And you can also follow us online individually. I'm at Chillin' Kristen on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I am the Myth Traveler. So thank you all so much for hanging out with us. We hope you had a good time uh, in this new era of gods and monsters with us. We will be back next week to talk about more creepy, kooky characters from film and folkloric history. But until that time comes... We must travel. Back to the netherworld. Go we. Right. In Freddy versus Jason, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jason cuts Freddy's head off, but then Freddy winks at the camera. No You're one right. can win. <laughs>